Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, digital agency owners and podcast listeners. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you currently stressed out, cash crunched, or fed up with your business? If you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem, or maybe that it's the area you live in, or maybe this market has become too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around, and I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now that it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who comes to you saying they need a website or Facebook ads or maybe a mobile app developed, but they don't even realize the deeper challenge or opportunity that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a YouGurus strategy call where we'll dig into those underlying issues and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your strategy call. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start your application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. All right, let's introduce today's guest. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we are hanging out with Kyle Racky, who is the co-founder and CEO of Pro- Proposify, a software-as-a-service company based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, up in Canada, which currently serves more than 6,000 customers worldwide. He started his first business, a web design company, at age 24 and sold it after five years. Kyle has blogged extensively about his journey through the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and was the subject of a 2016 article in Time Magazine. Kyle, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Brent. Really happy to be here. So Kyle, uh, what, what kind of was your, um, your defining moment uh, as in terms of uh, becoming an entrepreneur? What was the thing that kind of stands out for you the most as the moment where you're like, I am an entrepreneur. This is what I'm doing with my life. I think, I don't know exactly when that moment happened. I think uh, it took me a while to even realize I was an entrepreneur because I wasn't really that kid. Like we all hear about Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, selling, you know, stealing people's flowers and reselling it to them when he was six or whatever and hiring his friends to run a lemonade stand. Like he was kind of a born entrepreneur. That wasn't really my experience because I was kind of more of like an artsy kid who liked to draw and was good at art and that kind of thing. So um, I think that looking back, I kind of realized where the seeds were planted, like running, um, I had a paper route when I was about 15 years old that I think actually it's kind of a shame paper papers are dying out because there's such good entrepreneurial training. Like I had my route, I had my customers, I had to, you know, uh, collect on payments and you know what I mean? Like it was really set up like your own micro business. So I think that was really good training for it. Um, but really I think what I wanted was just freedom. Like when I was working in agencies as a designer in my early twenties, I had just found that a lot of the people that I was working for didn't have a lot of great leadership abilities. 
Um, they weren't very inspiring. I didn't know what the vision of the company was. I didn't know what my career path looked like. It was very much, and I'm sure probably a lot of agency owners are like, like this. They were just kind of trying to survive another day. So for me, I just thought, well, why am I working for these guys, you know, making kind of, sh- sh- I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on the podcast. <laughs> I was going to say funny, but um, you know, why don't I do, I saw all my friends kind of leaving the agency world and going freelance. So I thought, well, that seems a lot better. I'm good at the work. I've got some relationships. So I think like the, the whole getting out and selling myself was, that was a little bit of a, a leap to do. But once I did it, I found I actually quite enjoyed entrepreneurship and, and was pretty good at it. So you ran uh, an agency on your own for a little while uh, before starting Proposify. How um, how long did you run the agency for? Uh, it said five years. It was five years. Yeah. So we started. So basically, I did a year of freelance. I, I put in my notice at my agency in like at the agency that I worked at at about uh, two thousand eight. Um, did it for about 10 months. And then towards the end of that year in 2008, I invited Kevin, who actually was a business development guy, 20 years my senior, to come join me and start an agency because we had already been doing a little bit of work outside of that particular agency together. Um, and we were very much yin and yang. And, you know, he had the business development and operational chops and I had the design and kind of, you know, understood more the technology and, the, and that sort of thing. So it was a really good match, really good partnership. And we ran that agency for about five years before uh, exiting it and, and selling it off to somebody else to uh, go full-time into Proposify. But there was a lot of messy, ugly details throughout that time. Uh, it certainly <laughs> wasn't a smooth or easy experience. Yeah. So you, you had started Proposify prior to exiting the agency, kind of to solve your own problem probably with generating proposals? Yeah. I mean, the, the weird thing about Proposify was that it was an idea i had had, I think, as early as maybe 2006. Because when I used to work at agencies as a, as a designer, they used to get me building them out in InDesign. Um, so I'd be working with account managers and, and that kind of thing where they'd be sending me Word documents and I'd be flowing it in InDesign and trying to make it look good and finding the case studies that were filed away on some CD. I'd actually, like back then, we didn't have Dropbox even. So I'd be looking through shelves of CDs to try to find images from past work we had done. And it was just such a nightmare at one point. One point I went home and was sort of just in my basement and I was like there should be like a base camp but for proposals <laughs> and I started wireframing it out and it was kind of like a fun little side project project if I could have looked 10 years in the future and saw, saw that you know we were actually a company and there was a, a big market and we were you know at the forefront of it I I wouldn't have believed it um, it was kind of crazy to think that that just little idea you know 10 years or more ago uh, turned into this but that's sort of where the seed started And then as we were running the agency, um, we knew we wanted to get into SaaS, mainly because we were really bad at running an agency and we didn't do it very well. Um, So we kept trying to get into building SaaS products. And eventually we were like, you know, hey, why don't we do the old proposal app idea and see if that has any legs? And thankfully it did. It's really interesting, Kyle, just thinking about that your being able to see that problem was more from a designer uh, literally like designing out the proposals for the sales team, not necessarily, you know, a salesperson who is is trying to solve that problem, but you're literally laying out the proposal. And I think if you look at um, probably, you know, some of those basic features of, hey, we're just going to help you like lay this stuff out that you're already putting together and kind of templatize it so you can present it to your client, like coming mm-hmm. to that to that for more of a design philosophy versus just a 
uh, a sales philosophy. Like I just, I was unaware of that being part of the, the, the seed for that business. That's very fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, it started with the design because that was my background. But then as I was running my own freelance business and then eventually an agency proposals became an, obviously a, yeah. a much bigger, more important thing. And then I was looking at like the CRM and where it fit into that flow and the integrations. And um, it actually wasn't until much, much later that we even like thought, hey, maybe there should be online signatures because that was just customers asking for it. I never actually thought anybody would want that. There's a lot of details around the actual product that came from customer development. But the seed of the idea always started with how do we get a great looking proposal out that basically, you know, you can do it all in a web browser and you don't need to use InDesign and have to deal with account managers. What were some of those challenges? You mentioned that it was kind of messy going from agency to software company. Uh, you know, is there anything that you would have done differently or that you could have gone back in time and kind of, you know, told Kyle during the transition, like, hey, do this and not this? Well, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And, you know, if if I did things different back then, then maybe it would have turned out differently today in a, in a bad way. I, I don't know. So I don't know if I would necessarily change too much other than, um, you know, our challenge really was the fact that we, and this is everything that you gurus and everything that you do, Brent, you're trying to help agency owners, um, not be in the kind of position I was in, but I'm sure everything that I say, you and, and people listening will totally get it. It's, it's a, almost a universal problem for small agency owners, which is selling small deals, small website projects that don't pay enough clients are too demanding, you lose money on projects, you you invoice too late and the client doesn't pay you on time. So our cash flow is a mess. And we basically experienced the full gamut of how to not run an agency well and to not actually generate much of a profit. So um, during that time, I mean, that was really the catalyst for like, we need to get out of this business. Why, you know, it would be great to run a subscription business. And I think that a lot of agencies experience that um, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. And in, in some cases it is, but the actual transition to get there, we all read about, you know, Basecamp and 37 Signals and how they transition from a web design business to a software business. And it seems so beautiful and smooth and easy. Like you just put the product out there and then people start signing up to it. And eventually the revenue starts to surpass your agency's revenue. That was what we went in envisioning it would be. And then what it actually ended up being was, you know, we're taking internal resources to work on this SaaS product, um, which means we're compounding our lack of profitability because they're working on unbillable projects. So then we switch them back to a client project. Um, and then the product doesn't really get moved very far ahead. So, so now that's kind of going nowhere. So we were kind of in this limbo state for a lot of years where we were making no progress on the product. We were actually trying more than one product as well. So that, you know, compounded that <laughs> even more times three. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. And really things started to change once we, uh, a big saving grace for us was at one point we got a grant, we, we applied for a grant program. And that's a beautiful thing here in Canada. I don't know if it's quite the same in the US where a lot more is privatized. But here, at least in our part of the world, there's a thing called the Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agencies. And so they can give out grant programs that are federally funded to entrepreneurs that qualify. So we basically came to them and pitched them and said, you know, we need a developer to work on this product full time. And they said, here, you know, you can cover a salary with this grant, 
I think we paid maybe 20 or 30% of it and they covered the rest. And that was an absolute game changer. We got a, a great full stack developer, Jonathan, who's now our CTO. And he just worked on the product 100% of his time and didn't work on any client work. And that's how we were able to eventually get a product out the door and, um, and start getting into the hands of users. Can you paint us a picture of what Proposify as a company looks like today? Sure. So um, <clears throat> we've now been really, I guess, full time at it for about four years since twenty uh, for, since two thousand fourteen. Late twenty fourteen was when we started to really hit product market fit and start growing. Um, now we're uh, almost sixty people. We are all completely based out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, although we're, we were thinking maybe at some point down the road, opening up offices in other cities. Um, we actually, we're actually very transparent about our revenues. We just passed 5 million in annual recurring revenue um, just this year, and we're working to double that by next year. Um, we also took a, um, a Series A investment. We closed that earlier this year, so that's part of what we've been using to fuel the company. So we're definitely in growth mode right now, and I think we're 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 helping solve a big problem that a lot of um, a lot of companies, not just agency owners, but people in many different businesses face, which is just the whole idea of like how do you go from, you know, a lead is interested, they're they're just looking at okay, what are the what's the price and um, you know what does the service entail, all that kind of stuff that goes into a proposal, and the process of getting that in a client's hands and getting them to sign off on it is painful and in multiple industries. And that's really the problem we're trying to solve is helping these sales teams close deals faster. So it's really grown beyond just the proposal tool into more of a, a bigger vision for a sales platform. Yeah, I would say, you know, in terms of sales platform, we're more and more we're integrating d- deeply with Salesforce and HubSpot and, and other CRMs out there, um, especially those ones. But yeah, I mean, we basically, we, we consider ourselves a bottom of the funnel sales tool. So there's a lot of sales productivity and sales automation products out there that help with top of the funnel stuff and, and inbound marketing and, um, you know, drift stuff like drift that has, you know, chats for, um, uh, you know, having conversations with, with leads, but really when it comes to how do you go from lead or demo or pitch to, you know, close it, get it signed get the money in your account. We, that's our mission really is to make that as simple and streamlined as possible. Well, it's really cool evolution of your company. I mean, just to hear about your, your success, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the, the really, uh, rose colored picture of 37 signals, like working on these side projects or packaging their exhaust. I mean, for every Proposify and 37 signals out there, there's like, you know, the, the, the graveyard of agency products that never ended up making that jump. And so you guys have not only made that jump to full-time software, but also now you're taking Series A, which congrats uh, on that. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty big accomplishment or milestone. And uh, also congrats on your, your very rapid revenue growth. Um, what are some of the challenges that, that you've experienced as the leader of that business going from basically agency owner to CEO of a 60 person SaaS company. I mean, what are some of the things that have, uh, you know, challenged you along that journey? Mm. Well, I think that for the first couple of years, um, once we got to the product market fit stage where, you know, essentially it became easier to, um, 
to get customers and it was growing. Like the whole sort of getting it going and getting the product to where it needed to be in order to actually retain some customers and have it scale was very, very difficult with just, you know, me and my co-founder and a couple of employees. Um, but then once it started getting going and we were doing a lot of the right things, we were, you know, we had a, a great marketing funnel. We were driving tons of leads. Our retention was pretty good. And we were actually growing, I think from 2014 to the end of 2015, we grew something like a thousand percent, which sounds impressive. But when you're dealing with small numbers, it's not that crazy. Um, getting to that first million in ARR is, is really difficult. And I think we did that pretty well with a small team. But, you know, it starts to change, I think, once the organization gets bigger and, and especially once it gets past 20 or 30 people and upwards towards 50. Um, I've found personally that a lot, there's a lot more challenges and it's more around the organization. Um, it's less so about just trying to get product in customers' hands and all that kind of stuff. It's a lot more about, okay, what do I need to be doing? What's the best use of my time? How should I be delegating and pushing down? Um, you know, what's the right structure for, for different departments? Who's the right person to lead that department? How do I make sure everybody's communicated with properly? Like it's that internal organizational stuff. I think you probably hear that a lot from, from, you know, CEOs that run even much bigger companies than I do. Um, that becomes much more of the challenge than, than just generally running the business. So you mentioned um, kind of going from, from, you know, breaking through that 20 person Mark, and I've actually heard that from a lot of different uh, CEOs that around that 20 to 30-ish people, like you kind of had to change your leadership style and and how you're thinking about the business. Uh, what are some of those things that you implemented to get the business to scale beyond that? Yeah, so last year um, was really kind of a, a transitional year where we had, you know, we had a couple of customer support people. We had some developers. Um, you know, we we had people to help with things, but we didn't really have clear leadership and cl and clear uh, departments. So last year, we really it was about finding. In, in in most cases, it was taking somebody who already worked within the company and was very well acquainted with our company and product, and basically trying to help them level up and become a leader for their department. Um, but once we had kind of the group of leaders in place, like we had somebody running engineering and product and marketing and all these different departments, it was sort of like, okay, what next? What am I supposed to do as the CEO now? Because, you know, when I was used to being in the weeds and, you know, designing out product features and writing every blog article, I knew what to do with my time. Now, what do I do with it? <clears throat> so one thing that I found that was really helpful was I did get some coaching um, and hired Dan Martell to be a coach of mine. And one of the things that he recommended was reading a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. I'm not sure if listeners are familiar with it, but yeah. it's uh, it's actually, there's two different traction books. There's one that's mainly marketing focused. This one is kind of more uh, organizational. Yeah, we've had, but essentially we've had Mike, traction, uh, um, Mike Payton on the show uh, from from EOS, right? So that's the one you're, you're yes. talking about. Yeah. Totally. And you might recommend, um, you know, to your clients that they, they do something like that or run an EOS, but, um, entrepreneurial operating system, I found very helpful. We don't probably run it exactly to a T the way it's outlined in the EOS system, but I've found that like running weekly syncs with the leadership team, having a, you know, very clear annual goal, you know, articulating your vision and, um, identifying core values, uh, having quarter, you know, having a scorecard where each department has two or three key metrics that we measure every week and, 
make sure they're visible to the rest of the company. Those are all different elements of the uh, EOS system that I found were very transformational in, in, turn, in terms of helping us build you know, a real company and not just a startup with a couple of people doing stuff. Yeah, that's cool. We we run our business on EOS as well. So that's really, uh, it's kind of refreshing that that's the answer um, of one of the things that you implemented to kind of just, you know, ha- how you decided to lead um, the business and structure the departments and kind of where you spent your time. Um, that That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious with your you know, talking a little bit more about, you know, some of the things that you're seeing um, in regards to how uh, agencies are selling today or using a tool or a platform like yours. Uh, I know you mentioned that you guys are kind of looking at growing your audience into more than just agency owners, for example, into uh, more sales team support and sales team help with your tools. Um, But I'm curious what you're seeing from your perspective, because you guys have thousands of users, thousands of customers that are generating proposals, you know, doing work in sales. Um, I mean, are you seeing that um, the nature of sales uh, and how people sell today is a lot different than it was, say, as little as five years ago. Um, what are some of those things that you're seeing in the marketplace? Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd love to say that uh, you know everything's changed and and you know here's here's where it's at because <laughs> it always sounds more interesting, doesn't it? When especially when you're talking about marketing stuff, like hey, the way we've marketed now is completely changed. And the the funny thing about sales, and and I've spent so much of uh, my time over the last couple of years speaking about and blogging about sales because naturally there's a tie-in with our product. But the thing that's kind of interesting is that sales, the the methods may change, but the actual philosophy and strategies and tactics don't often change too much. Um, you know, a lot of it's about relationship building. A lot of it's about um, the art of persuasion. There's some tactical stuff around, you know, using time constraints effectively and, and uh, you know, scarcity and all those sort of marketing techniques that also work in sales. That stuff still works. I mean, I, I think the, the, the companies that use our product are really using it to just make the process of putting proposals together much simpler. Cause I think for a lot of them, that process is very broken. I mean, I even had, um, I was actually on a sales call with, with another company that I was looking to, to use their services. And when he said, um, you know, I, I, thought it seemed like a fit. He overcame some sales objections. I said, well, what about this? Are you sure that we're the right fit? And he kind of overcame those. So I was, I was bought in and ready to, ready to go. And then he said, okay, so the next step from here is I'm going to have one of our, somebody from our finance team send you a, an agreement through DocuSign and you have to agree to it. And I was like, okay, is that your no- normal process? And he goes, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. I'm like, okay. And so, you know, six days go by I haven't seen anything come by uh, from from them, and then I see DocuSign agreement from uh, somebody's name who I don't recognize. I knew it was them, but I just yeah. thought, "Wow, that's that's a bad sales process." A day later, he follows up and um, says, "I don't know if you saw that. You know, I'll say her name's Candice. I don't know if you saw that agreement from Candice come through." And I was like, "Yeah, I did, but like, man, is this how you close every deal?" <laughs> so what did I end up doing? going on LinkedIn and finding their VP of sales. And I sent him an email and said, look, I want to buy your services, but I have to tell you, like, this is where your sales process is broken. And I, you know, kind of thought maybe he'd ignore it or he'd send me an email saying like, how dare you criticize my sales process? 
And he just agreed with me. He's like, that you're totally right. It is broken. We have like, we had no idea what the solution was. And so, you know, now we're talking about potentially working together, but really that's it is like, get the agreement in front of the prospect when they're in a buying state, Yeah, this whole thing and agencies are guilty of it. Of like, Hey, you're interested. You're ready to go. Okay. Two weeks from now, maybe we'll send you a proposal. Yeah. I mean, how, how easy is it for, for leads to go cold? Right. I mean, that's one of our, our core steps in our sales methodology is, is present the proposal. I mean, sit down, go through it, make sure that it's, it's something that's being understood, that it's solving the problems that your prospect has and that you're, uh, that you're walking through that with them. You know, you're, you're sharing with them what, what your vision is for, for the solution and, and, and all that kind of stuff and, and not waiting two weeks, um, and also not just emailing it, right? I think you know, using a tool like Proposify or something to, to, to you know, get it over to the customer, but then to walk through it together and say, "Hey, are we on the same page with this?" Right, and and not having well, somebody yeah. purchase without and, knowing and what they're buying, right? For sure, and it has to be, um, you know, that that balance between detailed but also high level, because I think that a mistake that a lot of people make is most of the time they put too much detail in the proposal. Um, the one that I got sent you know, yesterday or the, the day before was really like a 15 page legal contract. Right. You know, and maybe that's, a, maybe that's part of your process. If it works for you, that's fine. But I find in, in a lot of cases, what you want them to do is not just look at the, the price or look at, you know, a bunch of fine print on a contract, but really show them how, how your you as the agency are going to demonstrate value, what you're committing to, what they're committing to. And that's, um, like you said, something you present. It's not something you just kind of send and, and hope that they open it and sign off on it. Yeah, I was working with a, a customer the other day and they were sharing what they had for their proposal. And they were, you know, what they showed me was for a basically a two or three page kind of landing page microsite. And, and they had a like a 15 page contract. And I was like, man, this is like a $3,000 little widget. Like you don't need, you know, you don't need a 15 page contract like what I would use to buy a house or something you know for a couple days work right so I think that some people definitely over overcook that part of it because they pull something off the internet or somebody you know that is maybe more experienced than them says oh hey here's the contract I use but they're using it for hundred thousand dollar software projects or something and they retrofit it for whatever they're using which is not a good place to start yeah absolutely well, there's also too, like, at what point do you send the proposal? Because I think, again, probably most people, um, what, I've, what I've found even working with sales teams is that often they'll send it too quickly. They won't make sure that lead is qualified and already bought in. Like, you almost want to send that proposal as a final, yeah. you know, let's close it, get it finalized. Once they're basically saying, shut up, take my money. But a lot of them will be talking to a lead who's not really qualified and not really bought in and then send a proposal and wonder why they're not signing it, right? Can can you guys get it? And you know, this is uh, this is probably showing a little bit of my uh, naivete about uh, about you know where Proposify is at as a tool today. I haven't I haven't gone through recently on it, but can you guys actually see from user behavior whether whether you think people are uh, selling the right way? Well, that's a cool idea for a feature. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, because well, I mean, like, like what you talked about is like so interesting. Like, obviously, this company that was pitching you kind of lucked out, right? They they literally pitched the company that builds the software that helps people sell. So you guys obviously are very well educated on how sales should work. So they got lucky. 
But I imagine there's a lot of Proposify users that, you know, maybe are using the tool or using what you guys are building for them in in not the right way, or they could make a couple tweaks and, and, and get much better results. I mean, is that something that you guys can even see from how people use the software? Yeah, like we we certainly have pulled reports in the past that kind of showed like, okay, you know, out of the proposals that closed, what was unique about them? Finding that, you know, finding any data that was useful was a little difficult. We did find actually one stat that was kind of neat that said that proposals sent within four days had something like an 11 or a 15% higher chance of closing than ones who were sent later, which ties into what I was talking about, about waiting six days to get the proposal or two weeks in in other cases with a lot of agencies that, that do that. I mean, the the bottom line is that once the, once the lead is ready and hot, get it in their hands as soon as you can. Mm. Um, what our, what our product does do is it actually will show you the amount of time spent and how many times they viewed a particular section. So you could see if they're basically just spending hours on the pricing page, but like two seconds on the actual scope of work. Well, okay. You know, these guys might not actually know what they're buying. I'm going to have to make sure we call, call them up and run through that. So that a lot of our customers use it for that kind of an analysis and and just even knowing that the customers opened it and they're looking at it, like our product will tell you when you're logged into the app or um, through a, a mobile app notification that says like, hey, John, who you sent this proposal to two days ago is actually looking at it right now. So maybe now is the time to call them up or send, send an email and say like, hey, do you have any questions? You want to run through it? Um, so that's kind of the, the analysis and the intelligence that we're getting from it. Hmm. Anything on the customer side, like what people, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm sure price is the thing that people scroll to or click through to most often the, the fastest, or maybe they spend the most time there. I don't know. I mean, what, what, what do you guys see in terms of user behavior? Cause you literally, it's kind of like having, um, you know, to some degree, I mean, you basically got Google analytics on a proposal, which is kind of cool. Um, but like in terms of aggregate data, like what are some of the things that you see from people that consume proposals? Is there, is there any trends or there patterns that would inform people to create better proposals? Hmm. I mean, I think this would be a really cool research project. We have so much data. I don't know if we've ever actually really dug in and tried to find trends from the actual end customer or viewers end of it. Um, I do know that, you know, some of the ways like you talked about misusing the product, we always know when somebody's probably going to churn from our product when they're just using it to email PDFs of proposals. So Mm. because our product has free proposal templates and a lot of them are well-designed and written, some people will sign up for a trial and maybe even sign up to a paid account, start writing or start using one of our templates. And then instead of actually sending it through the product, they'll just download a PDF and then directly email it to the client. And that's one of those behaviors that we kind of know that if somebody's using the product just to make the proposal, they're probably not, they're only getting half or less of the value from the product because really the full value is getting your client to view it online, sign it, interact with your different fees, which you can't do obviously in a PDF, um, maybe fill out form fields, view a view a video that's embedded right in the proposal. Like there's all these, you know, great client experience features that are baked into the web previews that just aren't in the PDF. So we always try to encourage our customers to use those, those tools. Um, Cause ultimately what you want is to create an amazing client experience um, a lot of times, you know, we just hear it an- anecdotally is our customers will say like, hey, you actually make us look like a rock star. You make us look like we've got this cool tool and this cool technology that's white labeled. 
Um, and, and some clients think we built it, you know, so it makes, especially for web design companies and marketing companies, it just makes them look that much more sophisticated than emailing a PDF. Mm. Any, any info on, and, and you can see where my, my kind of sales brain goes with, which just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very into sales. So knowing that you have like all this information behind the scenes, but like what's typical for close rates? I mean, between proposals being created and actually closing, do you have that by like industry or any kind of neat factoids there? I'm, I'm definitely listening back to this episode afterwards <laughs> and putting it all and talking and like getting some analysts to go like, okay, go through this data and find all this stuff. I mean, that's the crazy thing. We do have that data. I don't really know it offhand. Yeah. Um, the close rates, like as you can imagine, vary substantially. There are, there are some companies that use it to just send out a high volume of very small transactional types of proposals um, and other ones that'll use it, you know, maybe once a quarter, but, but close a million dollars through it. So cool. it's the data so spread out everywhere. I'd, it'd be very interesting to see if we could find like a median average. Yeah. We do know, and this isn't just Proposify, but online software or online signatures in general, they, they tend to close 60% faster than just trying to, you know, w- which makes sense. Just trying yeah. to email through or get somebody to, to screenshot their signature and email it. Um, it's so much faster. And and the close rate so much higher if they can just sign it right in the browser or on their phone. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's probably one of those big tips is if you are if you aren't using something that's uh, allowing for electronic signature or online approval, um, you know, using something like like Proposify or another sig- signature tool, I think that's that's like a no brainer now. Um, and also, uh, I assume you guys allow like some kind of like scope templating or something where you can kind of modularize and create proposals faster as well, which would be a big time saving within the sales process. Yeah, I mean that's one of our big one of our big core promises is that we're going to shave time. You know, nobody likes writing proposals. Everybody hates it. Even salespeople hate it. They'd rather be talking to a lead than writing a proposal. So if we can shave that time and and make it faster and easier, that's, that's the goal. The, The way we actually do it is two things. One, what you said was modular. So instead of just having like, you know, what a lot of people do is they have one master Microsoft Word doc and then they just copy that and they start changing it for that one client. Whereas ours is split into sections. So you could have like a, a whole library of, of case studies, for instance, that you just drag and drop into a proposal. You don't actually need to go and recreate that content or copy an entire proposal. You can just sort of like, here's our about section. Here's our scope. Maybe it's broken down into different services like e-commerce versus branding projects. And they're all completely modular and just sort of drag and drop. Uh, so that's one way. And then the other way is basically through the variables. So you can put kind of like short codes in the text so that every time you create a proposal, if it references the client 80 times in the document, it's just going to automatically update that. You don't need to go and find and replace and worry about like, mm. oh, no, did I misspell it? Um, so those are big t- time savers for people. Awesome. Well, I'm sure we will uh, get lots of people from this episode wanting to check out Proposify. You can, of course, do that at Proposify.com. We'll link out to that in the show notes. Uh, Kyle, this has been super informative hearing about your story, going from agency to software company, scaling up to 60 people. Are you ready for our lightning round? Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Let's do it. All right. What is the best advice you've ever received? Um probably to uh to get rid of the agency and and go in full into SaaS. You know, we had a VC one say to us, you know, every agency's trying to do a SaaS product, you know, 
most of them won't see the light of day because as soon as things get tough, they're going to, they're going to just go back to what makes the money instead of, you know, what every investor wants, which is their portfolio companies jumping out of the plane without a parachute and having to build a plane on the way down. So that, that was good advice and we took it. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? You know, for a lot of years, I was I actually didn't have very good personal habits. And I think it's really in the last couple of years, I've been you know, getting better at sort of taking care of myself and my health and all that kind of stuff. One thing that I've done recently, which I would recommend is the five minute journal, where, you know, at the beginning of the day, you write down, you know, what are three amazing things that could happen today or that I want, I want to happen today? What am I grateful for? And, and, uh, and then at the end of the day, kind of reviewing that and saying what went great and what, you know, what, how could it have been better? That sort of daily habit I found has just um, really made me an overall more disciplined person and more, you know, productive at work and, and more consistent with exercise and all these other great things. We will definitely link out to that tool because that is a five-minute journal. You can actually purchase that on Amazon. Make sure that's available for folks. Can you share an internet resource or a tool or an app that you use on a regular basis that you think our listeners would find value in? Well, related to that, you know, self-help, I guess, is probably the two ones that are non-work-related. I find the work-related ones are kind of the, the usual stuff, Slack and Google Calendar and Evernote. Um, but on the personal side, I found the Calm app has really worked just for, you know, kind of guided meditation and the Productive app. Productive is just what it's called. It's a paid app. Um, and I basically can just set up things like, you know, make sure I uh, drink two liters at least of water a day and I can just kind of slide. It's kind of like a fun little thing you can slide that you've done it. Um, it's like this nice little visual way to just sort of make sure you're knocking things off during the day. Nice. And what book would you recommend and why? Oh, I mean, I've, I read quite a fair amount. So a lot of that depends on, uh, I guess, what people want to get out of it. I'm trying to think of a good one I read recently would have been Rand Fishkin's uh, Lost and Founder book. Um, I thought that was a good read. Um, like I said, Traction by Gino Wickman, if you're looking at sort of that, how do you scale up processes and people, the kind of thing. Oh, there's so many books out there. It's a hard question, Brent. <laughs> what's what's your fave right now? And it sounds like that Rand Fishkin, uh, Lost and Founder. I had not yet heard of that. So uh, that's a great suggestion uh, for our listeners. And we will link out to those books and those resources, those apps in our show notes. Go to yougurus.com forward slash podcast. And you can find uh, the Kyle Racky episode and find that info on there. Kyle, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Um, yeah. So you already mentioned the product. If people are interested in that, great. Um, if they want to check me out, I guess, personally, uh, my personal website is just kylerackey.com. Um, I am coming out with a book in January. Um, so depending on when this episode launches, it may already be out, but, uh, it's called free trials and tribulations, how to build a business while getting punched in the mouth is the subtitle. So it's, uh, it's kind of about my, uh, story, uh, you know, basically a little bit about what we touched on here, but a lot more of the personal side of things, um, things that I went through personally as, as well as just more tactical kind of business lessons are all in the book. And I'm uh, pretty excited. It's my first official book. So if people want to check that out, it is at kyleracky.com. They can sign up to get notified when it launches. 
Awesome. We will also link out to those resources and uh, good luck on the upcoming book launch. Uh, definitely uh, congrats on making that happen. I'm excited to uh, read that myself. Looking forward to it. So um, congrats on, on getting a book done and making that a part of your uh, accomplishments list. So we will uh, link out that to that again on yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Uh, we'll link out to Proposify and also your KyleRacky.com. So if you guys are on the road or on a run, just check out the website, yougurus.com forward slash podcast, and you'll get all those great resources along with key takeaways and aha moments from this episode. Kyle, thank you so much for stopping by the program. Thanks for having me, Brent. My pleasure. And that is our episode for this week of the Digital Agency Show. Tune in each and every week for more great content coming at you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in your business and life. Until then, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out, cash crunched, fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem. Maybe that it's the area you live in or that this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around, and I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now, it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or a mobile app, when they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge is blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a strategy call, where we're going to dig into those underlying issues in your business and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your YouGurus strategy call today. Go to yougurus.com apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com apply to get started. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show. 